Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Rants Rant. Today my guest is Mike Daly, who is a Scottish video game designer, best known for designing the original prototype for Grand Theft Auto and also helped create the video game Lemons. Mike is also one of the four founders of DMA Design, uh, which is now known as Rockstar North. So Mike, thanks a million for taking time to come out on the show. And first and foremost, how are you getting on? Good. Yeah. A productive day, so just chilling with some retro stuff. Good stuff, good to hear. Sounds like a typical lockdown type of day. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. And I suppose most of the guests I get on, I delve into childhood and stuff like that. But rather than, you know, get into the deep, deep workings of your childhood, I just was wondering if you could explain or tell us what really got you into gaming in the first place because obviously it's your main type of work at the moment but was there a particular age or a particular person that kind of influenced you and your interest towards the the gaming lifestyle um yeah it was in my childhood funnily enough um (laughs) i mean i started um playing my computers back in the 80s when i was about 12 13 um a friend of mine had got an uh, ZX81, which was Sinclair's uh, first kind of mass-produced machine over here, really. And I used to go down to his house, and we used to sit and play with um, some of the games on it. They were really simple, um, and occasionally would would mess about with the built-in basic. Um, he uh, he upgraded to a Spectrum uh, not too long after, and I got his ZX81. Um, and just programming, it was just fascinating. It was just making this little box do things, do what I wanted it to do. And it just kind of blossomed from there. So, I mean, from the age of 13, I went from a ZX81 to I got a Spectrum. Um, from my mum's work, they were wanting a database. So when I was about 15, um, I wrote them this uh, database um, it was pretty simple. It was all written in uh, Spectrum Basic, mm-hmm. but it, it was good fun. Uh, it gave me a, a ZX Spectrum for a year. And then after that, I, I didn't have a computer for a little while, almost a year, I think it was. And then Santa brought me a Commodore Plus 4. Good old Santa, um, yeah. Reliable man yeah, he is. Santa. Yeah, Santa almost <laughs> got me uh, a Mattel Aquarius until uh, he, he got a, a rushed letter going, no, don't get me that one. Um, So my Commodore Plus 4 set me on a good path. Uh, From there I learned uh, 6502, which is what the Commodore 64 uses as its main CPU. Um, And then another friend was selling a Commodore 64 later when I was about 17 or so. And I bought that, and then that's the machine that really set me on my, my path. My first commercial games in 1989, when I was 19, was on the Commodore 64. So really from the time of 13 all the way through was just learning my craft as it was, although my mother didn't really see it like that when I was in Mm. my bedroom playing with things. Um, But it was, I mean, pretty much all the way through just figuring out how to program, figuring the best way to do things, getting used to making things, debugging things, everything. Uh, So by the time I was uh, 19 and Dave opened an office... Um, I was ready to kind of go. So, like, yeah, it's it's always been a kind of love, just seeing these games, wondering how they work, and trying to do it myself. 
Mm, and you, you mentioned him there, David. Yeah. David Jones, who you know founded DMA Design, which, as I previously mentioned, is now known as Rockstar North, and that was founded in the late nineteen eighties. And it was pretty much for those of you who don't know the backstory or know the inner workings of the DMA design founding story. It was pretty much David. It was a few of his classmates, yourself, in one or two little rooms in the middle of Scotland. And like, was it pretty much just a few friends get together, see what happens? Or was there very much a common goal where you were like, okay, let's have aspirations to make one or two games that could potentially sell well? Well, I mean, we all met at the... Uh, Kingsway Computer Club, which was a college campus here where a whole lot of folk met up. I started going when I was about 16, I think. And Dave Russell Kay and Steve Hammond had been going there for, uh, you know, a year or more already. And this was a real 80s computer club where folk would meet up. You'd have to take your computer up and a portable television and in those days, portable TVs were these big CRT things. So you had mm-hmm. to lug these things um, across town and into this place. And most of the people there just met up to copy games. You know, they were all tape-to-tape copies being handed around. But the four of us kind of gelled because we were all interested in actually programming these machines um, and actually making it do things. So we kind of just carried on and shared ideas and, We'd knock up little demos together and make little games. And then by the time um, I was, would have been 18, um, David started doing this other game. He got in his Amiga, he was getting used to it, and he started writing this game on it. Um, And then by the end of 88, he had finished this game. Um, It was published by Psygnosis, and all of a sudden he was getting some money, and it was a case of, oh, look, I could, I could do this. Mm. So he was, he was at university at this point, um, doing a de- uh, computer science degree, and he was kind of, well, I could either carry on doing this degree um, and then go and do, you know, sysadmin jobs or whatever it was at that time, yeah. um, or I could drop out and I could see if I could do this thing. So he came to the conclusion to just, you know, just go for it. What, what the hell? Um, I think he got told by his lecturers that he could carry on his course when it failed because they were all, all <laughs> under no illusions that it was going to work. Yeah. Um, and so he decided to to leave uni and open an office. And it was at that point he kind of offered me uh, a job. I'd um, I'd been at college for about three months before I got kicked out for not being there. It was a horrible course. Um and I was in no way suited to, to do it. Mm. I was far too interested in just doing programming than sitting doing maths and English degree work, um, of which I was useless at anyway. So I'd had three months sitting at home. My mother was starting to get a bit annoyed and sending me out to all these uh, DIY shops to try and get a job. Um, and Dave went, you know, have I opened an office up? Do you, do you want a job? So I kind of jumped at the chance, you know. That's, that's the kind of dream from the, the, the years seeing all these games come out and all these kind of rock star uh, programmers. I was like, yeah, of course I do. So he um, he set about trying to get an office and get it organized. In the meantime, he got a contract from Psygnosis to do my first game, which was Ballistics. 
Um, well, he started on his second Amiga game, Blood Money. Um, Russell Kay, in the meantime, was still at uni, and he got the conversion for uh, Menace, Dave's first game, to port it over to the PC. So it kind of evolved in terms of, you know, all these kind of people just want to do games, do ports and stuff, um, and it just became this little community of, you know, somebody would do a game and then somebody else would convert it and so on. And then Dave making, you know, starting the company um, and leading with various other games and everybody else porting, he just kind of became the management of all this stuff. Um, the, the work I was doing for ports was kind of paying the kind of monthly wage for other people for, for doing stuff uh, while he could basically carry on trying to do original work and get more money in. So mm. yeah, it kind of worked pretty well. Uh, Russell did it in his spare time. He had another friend from uh, university, uh, Brian Watson. Uh, he was doing an ST port of Menace. So he just farmed all this work out to friends, basically. All these kind of uh, guys that he kind of knew from the computer clubs that knew could handle it. So it was the first, you know, years or so were, were good fun. They just kind of cracked on and huge amounts of stuff came out. It was great. Yeah. And by the time it got to... 1989 or so it's reported that's when the the big breakthrough in many people's eyes came which was lemons the game which up until now people claim it's had over 20 million copies sold worldwide mm -hmm. and as you were saying it was like-minded people all the same aspirations kind of enjoying what they're doing ultimately rather than being stuck in lectures uh bored off yeah. their faces so like when you were making say lemons and you had a, a big role to play in that like was that very much just oh this is standard procedure or at the time did you think hang on if we can crack this we could be onto something pretty special here no i mean the lemming stuff what was i doing during lemmings i was doing blood money when david cracker on the lemmings although i did the original little animations and then i did levels and i did some uh work through it to try and support i mean dave and gary timmins did the main bulk of Lemmings dev work. Um, but it was like any other game. It was just, here's a game. We think it'll be fun, and we'll make it, and then keep our fingers crossed that other people think it's fun. Whenever you're making a game, you have no idea how it's going to be um, received, no matter what the game is. Um, you know, you've been working on it for a while, so you get a bit blind to all its little features and um, intricacies. And you just got to kind of make it the best you can and hope other people feel the same. It was exactly the same with Lemmings. We just kind of cracked on this game. It had humour in it. It was fun. We loved making levels for it. It was great fun. But until it started to get reviewed and until the demo disc and everything came out, we really had no idea what other people were going to think about it. Um, once it kind of started to get released and we started to see the reviews, that's the point you really get, wow, look at this everybody's kind of just going nuts over it. Because before then, we had no idea. Mm. Yeah, so it's not like a, <clears throat> a musician when they've struck gold with a, a number one song, they sometimes can tell. And just for the the average listeners and you know, maybe the long, younger listeners would be much more accustomed to, you know, the PS4s, the latest Xboxes. <laughs> so they're all just kind of spoilt as to... Yeah getting the finished glossy product 
um, and they forget the days of Game Boys or PlayStation 1s or Nintendo 64s. And that was kind of the bee's knees back in my childhood, which now they're seen as relics. Like how at that stage, obviously technology nowadays, it's much more, I'd imagine so much, it's it's easier to create games. But back back in that day with limited technology and probably limited resources, like was it very much a case where uh, making, say, a game like Lemons or say when you start a Grand Theft Auto, was it just a huge amount of trial and error? And then you play it and go, oh, there's a glitch, fix that, and just constantly for several months fixing it? Or was it quite a smooth process? Um, Lemons was pretty smooth. Most games are like that. Even today, you know, you put in a feature, it'll be buggy as hell, and you'll spend ages fixing it. That hasn't really changed. Um, the technology you use to build games and um, how much tech goes into games, that's really evolved, obviously. But the fundamentals of you write a function that's buggy, you fix it, has been the same. Um, it's certainly easier to do now because you're in high-level languages. You're, you don't sit and write everything in assembler. Yeah. But it's still the same thing. Um, because games were simpler back then, particularly the 2D ones, then even though you're in assembler, it's not really that complicated. Um, you know, moving a, a, some sprites around the screen in assembler, it's not terribly complex compared to um, you know, you do big 3D models and physics and particle systems and stuff these days. Uh, no matter what language you're in, that can get quite complicated, particularly once you start talking about threading and all this kind of stuff. So the, I mean, all kind of eras of games um, have their own difficulty, and at the time it's seen as difficult. I mean, now I go back and make lots of retro things because it's fun. Um, and I still get the same kind of things as I had back then where I've got an assembly routine that's buggy and I've got to go and debug it. It feels a bit easier now, but it's actually yeah. exactly the same. Um, it's just, you know, you know a lot more now than we did then. So we know how to target things. And you've got a lot of better tools now than we had back then. Back then you had an assembler and a debugger, and that was about it. These days you've got simulators and profilers and you know, big machines that can do a lot more testing and poking at things to, to try and trap these bugs. So it's not really changed in terms of how you go about things. It's just really uh, the technology you used at the time has, has evolved. Um, yeah. But they're all equally as fun, really. Yeah. No, and they're all, like, especially the older games, <clears throat> there's a lot of kind of comparisons you can give from one game to another. And I'm not saying ones that you created compared to the ones you did obviously those little characteristics that were similar but like moving on from lemons what followed after that was obviously gta and there's many kind of moving parts to that where like it was originally set to be called race and chase um i was reading stuff like that it was kind of somewhat inspired by pac-man having that idea where you do something bad then you're going to get chased and just for a lot of the listeners, like I remember playing GTA 1, GTA 2, and GTA 3 up until the latest one. Like, with regards to the whole process behind that, like, where did that idea come from? Was that a particular person going, hey, let's create this game no. where you drive around? Or was this kind so of. GTA itself um, is definitely a game that evolved. So yeah. when I started the prototype for it, um, it came from an isometric prototype that I'd written before. And then I put it kind of top down and had this kind of perspective view. 
Um, and I just I like the way the movement happened. Um, I'd be the t- some of the other guys have been trying to get racing games past Dave because um, they're all kind of fans of games like Micro Machines and stuff. So I put this um, wall in the background and painted a road on it, and all of a sudden it was buildings. So it just felt like this nice little cityscape that you could put through. The game itself, Dave had the initial vision of this Cops v. Robbers things. Um, there was an old game called Chase HQ, APB and stuff where you were the police and so on. So he, he liked this idea of being able to go back and forward. Um, but again, it's one of these things that as people played it, it just evolved. More people played the baddies than the goodies. It was just more fun to be bad. Um, and then other elements, you know, things like the ambulances turning up. That was, you know, somebody on the team thinking, oh, it'd be cool if we did this. Um, running over the streak of, you know, Harry Krishners and stuff. Again, that was just another thing that another team member had um, suggested. The whole game was kind of team-driven, which almost never happens because it's virtually impossible to do. And it's one of the few times it's actually worked. But it did take a long time, and that's part of the reason. You've got to be able to pull all these things together. Um, Dave wasn't particularly good at that. It wasn't until Gary Penn came in um, as a producer of it he really started to pull all these different things together and actually focus it into a game um, that could actually be shipped. Because Dave in particular is a great ideas guy and will just, you know, loads of other things will get thrown in. But he finds it very hard to stop doing that. And at some point, you've obviously got to stop to ship it. Yeah. So all these guys just kept throwing their own ideas in. You know, I want to steal a train because it would be dead cool. I want to do this because it would be dead cool. Um, and they had to get a game mechanic around it. So Gary and some of the other guys that you know had all the phone stuff. They did all these scripts for it. Started to pull it into a, a thing that gelled together and held together as a game. Um, but it was definitely not something that was planned out. It was something that evolved over the years of development, um, and the whole team were involved in it. And you said their years of development, like in total, GTA One. Like how long was it? Three, four, five years, or how long did it take? To... It would have been about two, two and a half years, I think it took, which by modern standards isn't huge. But back yeah. in 97, it was only supposed to take about a year. So, you know, um, games have gotten longer and longer to develop. Excuse me. Um, we started out at the very beginning. Uh, games took about six months. By the time we got to... Um, Lemmings, it was taking a year we thought GTA the nature of the game at the start would have taken about a year as well but again it just grew arms and legs and yeah, two and a half to three years later out it popped and when it when it popped out so to speak there was like with say some of the younger listeners who maybe are used to GTA 5 there's always controversy following those games around with yeah. regards to say the violent nature the humor in it and i know gta1 wasn't maybe as expansive as it was compared to gta3 or uh beyond that but like the violent nature was there the kind of i don't want to say like self-deprecating manner of it all but there was that kind of not hugely caring um attitude that still holds true today with the games and that's ultimately why i think they work 
uh, with say characters now it's kind of not taken mm-hmm. ultra seriously they kind of take a take the piss a bit out of how society is and the main yeah. thing with gta one was obviously the violent nature of it yeah. and how did like you the rest of the team cope because obviously it was successful but that was obviously a cloud hanging over it just not crazy really. no i mean the, the humor that was in it was was very scottish in, in its humor um you know the kind of violence and the the it's almost slapstick you look yeah. at it, you run over somebody and it's a little splodge of pixels. You know, it's <laughs> not like you're, you look at Carmageddon when it came out, it was about the same time, and you'd be first person driving in and you get their face splattered on the windscreen. Um, and, you know, it was nothing like that. I mean, we always compared it to Tom and Jerry humor, where you've got these tiny little sprites that you either shoot or you run over, and it's just, you know, it's a clump of colored pixels that you couldn't really see. So, it wasn't. I mean, for us, it wasn't particularly violent because it was. It was that far away from the action, you know. You kind of from above, quite far, and you take away all the kind of builds and, and driving and the gameplay stuff of it, and you look at other games like uh, Cannon Fodder or Syndicate Wars or something like that. It's basically the same. You now you go around and you shoot these guys and stuff. It's not really that much to it. I think the only difference is with the cars, you can kind of wreak a bit of carnage with it because you can yeah. flatten over people and stuff and that's really the environment it went in you could have had people running out of the way or jumping over and stuff but again i think that's that almost that scottish humor of just just flatten them it'll be fun um, and <laughs> most of the decisions we had came down to what's going to be fun what will people want to do what do we want to do and you wanted to have this just flatten this guy oh this police guy's trying to get me yeah just flatten him steal his car that'd be great fun um, same with the Hare Krishnas. The Hare Krishna thing was uh, Colin Anderson and I. Colin was the head of the music department. We were in town one lunchtime. There was a trailer of Hare Krishnas that we've only ever seen in Dundee once. Um, and we just walked behind them and Colin recorded them to get the little jingle. And then went back, that went in the game. And as soon as there was this little tree of or a line of people, the first reaction is to try and run them over and get a bonus. you know it's just that Scottish thing of it's going to be fun just do it it's great so I think most of the stuff came about like that and there wasn't any big guilt trips or anything like that it was just that's what we did it was whatever was fun that's what we'd go for yeah and as I said like that still has continued uh, to this day that's still evident in the latest games and like following on from that it was obviously successful um with that, like I believe that you had some sort of involvement with GTA 2 before you stopped fully working with the games. Yeah. And I was just wondering, like, was there any particular reason why you were no longer involved in developing the games? Was it other projects or what exactly was the reason involved? Um, well, I did the graphics engine for GTA 2. I was in the R&D department at that point. Um, we were doing a 3D engine. I did the engine for GTA 2. And then I left the company to go and work for a company called Visual Sciences, which was Russell Kay's company. He just got in a contract to do um, F1 games for Electronic Arts, their sports brand. Um, and they're going to be able to do PlayStation 1, 2, and, and so on. So he brought me over to start doing some R&D for PlayStation 2. Um, and it was at that point, I'd, I'd kind of become part of the furniture at DMA, um, just sitting in a corner, I guess, doing things and it didn't really feel like I was doing that much so I needed a change um, so 
yeah, I left in 99, um, just before GTA 2 was finished. Um, and Wild Metal Country, or Wild Metal, it was on Dreamcast and so on. So, um, yeah, it was just, uh, I was up for a change and I got offered something else. Okay. And as you look back, just last point on um, Grand Theft Auto, obviously now it's become, you know, one of the more famous games. Like, if you read into the the birth to present day, there's been, you know, struggles in the background with kind of artistic differences. There's been a lot of chopping and changing over the years, and that leads to long delays with the releases of the games, noticeably even now the latest one. Like, do you feel like it's nearly now become too big of a game where all these outside forces are just interfering with the actual game itself? I mean, the, since GTA 3 probably, there's, there's really been just huge amounts of content in there. It's always been a big game. Um, GTA 3 and 4 and 5 are nothing like any of the kind of games I would have done. Um, it's a totally different direction. As soon as they went 3D, it became very mass market and commercial, but not really the, that kind of fun game that um, I would have played. So, you know, it's not really huge amounts of interest in them. I think the latest ones, which I've not played yet, I don't know if somewhere, but I've not actually played it yet, um, the GTA 5 online stuff, people seem to be getting back to that fun part. Because really for me, GTA was all about the driving about and having fun. GTA 3, Vice City, um, GTA 4 and stuff, they put too much into the story, making you do this big, long story game. It was just dull. Hardly anybody actually plays the stories in the original games. They get in the car, they drive about, and they just you know make a mess. And <laughs> I think with the GTA Online stuff, where you see everybody doing stunts and just driving and having fun, that's what GTA should have been. You know, It was all about this just environment where you could wreak havoc. And I know friends that I think Vice City was the one that we kind of played and really enjoyed. Um, and I did the same as a, a friend of mine who just said, you know, I play it and my daughter plays it and we just get in a car and we just drive about. And occasionally we'll see these little mini missions of steal a fire engine and go and put this fire out. And that'd be it. We have no interest in doing this big, long story. Yet the first few games they locked off like whole chunks of the world until you did these stories. Yeah. And have no interest in doing it. So it's just like you've made all this content and there's a huge chunk of people that are never going to see it. It's just a waste of money. So the latest ones that's just this open world is much better because people can go and have fun, they can explore, they can just you know ignore the story and just go and have a laugh because that's what GTA was. It was all about just having a laugh in the game. No, I agree, and like I, I think it may have been Liberty City or yeah, I think GTA Three, um, as was known, uh, was the one where you only had like a third of the map until yeah. you completed it. And it was, I remember at the time playing it, just being like, "This is absolute hell." Because I remember playing GTA Two back in the early, early days, yeah. and as you said, the the kind of freedom you had from the get go was the attraction there. You could just go around blasting people, driving. Yeah. Absolutely. As you please, rather than having restrictions yeah. straight I mean, off the bat. So any game that was cool for stealing a train and all you could do is go forward and back, you know, but you could because it was fun. That's you know that's what kind of people really enjoy. It's just that kind of madness of it. 
So you don't want to walk up to this gate and have it sealed off and you go, but I want to go over there. It's like, no, no, you can't go over there until you've done these 10 hours of story. Oh, sod that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a, a tunnel that was blocked off for yeah. 20 hours of playing. It was a bit of a pain. <laughs> and I suppose last point on that, just one of the people asked, like, would you like to see us? Because the big thing about the latest one was having three different characters. You could swap to and from, and that kind of navigated the factor that sometimes with Vice City or something like that, you'd be driving for ages. You'd feel like you're actually in the car driving to <laughs> the other part of town, and you'd be sitting there listening to the good soundtrack, mind you, but you'd be driving for ages. And the three characters navigated that where you could go to one side of the town, then back and forth. Like, you looking from the outside and just kind of seeing where it would go. Like, would there be anything in particular if you had your hands on it to like to see as a, even a fan of the game? Well, see, like I say, I mean, the, the, the 3D ones I'm not hugely fans of. I liked the old top-down ones because they were fundamentally arcade games. I grew up with the old arcades. And you look back at the original games and, you know, you ran over the pedestrians and you got this kind of score for them. Fundamentally, the original two GTAs were were arcade games. You'd run over, you get scores, and it was really that kind of fun mechanic of just racking up numbers and scores that I found enjoyable. These kind of three D ones, yeah, they're, they're not really for me. I, I play them to have a a little go on the the tech and see what they've done to it, but I've no real interest in the, the games. They're all huge story driven things now. Um, with the exception of the online one where people just go and drive about and crash, um, which is fine. Um, But it's not really something that kind of interests me. I want that kind of fix of kind of baddies and goodies. So, you know, you you do something and they'll start chasing you and you've got to wreak havoc as you go and try and get a bit further and score like you did with any kind of shoot-em-up. You know, you're going through, you're firing a spaceship, it gets harder, you get more bullets. GTA is still fundamentally that kind of game when you get down to it. You know, you steal a car and you wreak havoc, you get more police coming after you and you have to try and avoid them and all the the shooting at you. Um, And that's really what I would have kind of done with it instead of um, the kind of huge franchise they've got now. It wouldn't be anything like as big as as what it is now. The way they've taken it, you know, patched off, it's, it's just... Such a mass market game, um, and it's huge. And I think the delays they've got, it doesn't really matter. People are playing the current one, and as soon as the next one comes out, they'll buy it. So it's just, you know, take your time, get it right. My one would have been, yeah, probably still kind of top-down arcade game because that's what I enjoy. I tend to write what I enjoy rather than, you know, okay, everybody's going to want this. I think it sucks, but we'll write it. I don't really want to do that. Mm. And I suppose that's something that you might have to battle yourself now because you grew up in a a period where, as I said, the games that you were designing were the likes of GTA 1, Lemons, the big ones there were like, as I said, Pac-Man, those type of arcades type games that were, Mm -hmm. as you said, fun. Like when I think of, say, even Pac-Man, I think of fun. I'm not thinking of mad detail. I know Mm -hmm. what I'm going to get and it's fun to do or King Kong or other classic type of games. But like yourself, what do you see as like some of the biggest changes in the gaming in- industry since you started, you know, creating, whether they are good or bad? 
Um, I mean, it's definitely gone in swings and roundabouts at the moment because it certainly went from that bite-sized entertainment where you get little snippets and, you know, you could, you could play for half an hour, then you had your fill, to huge games that you'd have to spend months and months or years playing to be any good um, to get, you know, you go on, even if you went online, if you hadn't been playing for years, you were toast. You get the big RPGs that you could spend years in. Um, and as you get older, you'd never have the time for this. So you kind of end up ignoring them. I think a lot of that's now coming back because you're starting to get mobile games and these a lot of indie games are starting to appear now as well because the tool sets are much easier. Um, so you're starting to get more interesting games back again. So it's definitely going in waves at the moment. Um, there's still these big games, um, but they're, they're getting few and far between by comparison to what they were a few years ago um, as we start to get the kind of smaller more bite-sized game and coming back because like I say not everybody has you know seven hours a day to play these things they need smaller games um, and I think we're starting to get that particularly in the casual game stuff um, it's, it's recognizing that people want you know 10 minutes here 10 minutes there to, to play games um, and it'll be interesting to see how with the new Mac stuff coming out where you can play these casual games on your laptops and computers, how that's going to affect things because a lot of these games don't work on computers. So I think that'll be the next twist is um, how they're going to start targeting these kind of games to the machines that aren't really suited for them. Um, desktop gaming's definitely changing. Console stuff's still the big games, but desktop's got that split now. It's definitely got the kind of um, indie game and big game with the in, with the smaller games um, definitely outnumbering the big ones by far um, I think that's good because you get that variety we used to have back in the 80s where people would just try any wacky idea and see how it went instead of um, you know needing massive teams and huge budgets um, I think more more of that's always good yeah no like I'm not I'm not one of these 24-7 type gamers and I definitely would be one of the kind of quick fix type lads if I ever needed to play, whether it's on my laptop and work, uh, as long as my boss isn't listening to this, I'll be good, <laughs> um, or else um, on the PlayStation. But as I said, like I'm not in a position where I can go six, seven, eight, nine, ten yeah. hours a pop. And I think even yeah. with society today, especially with younger people, attention spans are just nowhere near what they used to be there's social media, there's other distractions. So as you said, the quick fix is probably what the doctor is ordering at the moment. And mm. like when you say that right now, we're keeping up with the trends, like now yourself, Mike, do you have any projects or any games or any kind of aspirations in the in the short term or what exactly you're working on? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm currently doing a little word game that's a free-to-play game for mobile. So same kind of thing, the idea being, you know, you can drop in for... 10 minutes of a game and then come out because um, it's definitely that casual game is where the not where the the volume of players are um, there's other difficulties there getting noticed in that huge market but it's um, it, it's that bite-sized game that's far more interesting it's still 2d stuff bit of humor um, I don't think there's anywhere near enough humor in games so yeah it's um, I prefer the 2D ones. That's what I'm doing at the moment. A little 2D game that's 
uh, a little casual game for folks. So hopefully that'll be finished soon. That's taking its time. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah, no, Mike, that more or less wraps up the main part of the podcast. What I do finish with is a quick fire round. Mm-hmm. It's nothing too incriminating, so don't uh, don't be nervous <laughs> or anything like that. That's okay. And just to kick that off with an easy one, what is your favourite film of all time? Singing in the Rain. What is the worst piece of advice you've been given in your line of work? I don't think I've been given any advice. <laughs> no. No. So no advice. Okay. No. What is your pet peeve? Let's go over brackets and code. People putting <laughs> them in the wrong place. We'll go with that one. <laughs> okay. And who is your favourite, or who's the best Scottish comedian and why? Oh, Billy Conley. No contest. He's Any awesome. close seconds? Or? Um, Kevin Bridges is good. I like him. Yeah. But Billy Conley's always just... I went to see him a few times live. He's just amazing. Yeah, no, he's a he's a big... F- I didn't get to see him. My old man uh, went to see him once or twice. I've only been accustomed to uh, Frankie Ball from a Scottish comedian. Good, yeah. I've seen him once as well. He's really good. But yeah, no. To be fair, the Scottish comedians—they've—they've um, they've got the game well wrapped up at the moment. They know, what they're doing. they know what they're doing. And if a movie was made of your life, <laughs> what genre would it be, and who would play you? Well, I thought it'd be a fucking comedy, wouldn't it? Jeez. <laughs> um, I'm just going to go with Brad Pitt because you know. Yeah. <laughs> First type of role from a com- comedy. <laughs> I'd actually like to see that film, to be honest. It'd be quite interesting. Um, and when was the last time you were late for something? I'm not late very often because I get paranoid. So I'm usually there really, really early. Um, I'm late on my deadlines all the time. Let's go with that. Uh, yeah. I'm late at the moment. The game should have been finished. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But not late to any place. Okay. I'm one of these people that are at airports like three hours early. Yeah, and wondering why you're there and saying next time oh, I'll go an hour early, but you never do. I'm similar. Yeah. I've been there and been settled. It's it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fairness, nothing worse than rushing through an airport. That's oh, one of yeah. the worst things you can do. <laughs> and lastly, Mike, and this is off the toughest. Uh, most guests find this the hardest to answer. Describe yourself in three words. Geeky, geeky, driven, compulsive, probably. That's well well said. And yeah, Mike, that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, I want to thank you, obviously, for taking um, time out of your evening. And as I said, I'm intrigued to see what comes next um, <laughs> under your name in the workings of the latest games. And obviously, I want to thank you for speaking openly and honest, obviously, about your previous work. Yeah, hopefully this pandemic won't be on much longer (laughs) and we can all get back to normality relatively soon. Yeah, yeah. No worries. Cheers.